This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Jason Jones Show. Did I say another episode? I mean a reboot, a relaunch of the Jason Jones Show, just in time. This is an emergency podcast, breaking news, live, almost live, almost immediately after the fact response to Donald Trump's State of the Union, President Trump's State of the Union, with Tiana Elisara. Tiana Elisara. He's lived in Hawaii for how long and it's still having a hard time with Polynesian last names? I'm white. I'm very white. <laughs> that's that's is that a Samoan name? That is a Samoan last Are name. Are you serious? Well it's I took Samoan <laughs> in college. You know that, right? Did you really? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. But you know what though? That's I took two years of Samoan and all I know is the alphabet and bad words. Nice. Me too. And Talofa. Talofa. That's all you need. Okay, so I knew Tiana, you were my favorite. The left the left the left show. And I thought the world needs to hear our response to the State of the Union. But almost more fascinating in the State of the Union was Governor Karen's response. Governor Karen. Governor Karen <laughs> from Michigan. What is her? Just so that we Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer, the Whitmer. Democratic governor of Michigan, governor who gave Karen. the response to Trump's State of the Union. Um, very interesting. Yeah, I want to start there, but we won't. Should we start? I don't know. If, first of all, I want to say why, first of all, the world needs to hear from us on this State of the Union, especially right. you, me and you, you and I. Right. We went to public school. I don't know how to say it properly. Yeah. Is it me and you or you and I? Yeah. Whatever. You and I. Yeah. You. Okay. We they need to hear from us. us. Here's why. <laughs> okay. This is where I was the day that President Trump was nominated. I was a national co-chair for Ted Cruz, which meant, you know, I was just a surrogate, and I would go around and I would speak at events. I actually caucused for him in Iowa. When Trump won the nomination, I was I was covering the convention for a news outlet, and I was there for the Cruz campaign. And uh, I stayed for Peter Thiel's speech, and then when Trump had to, when Trump came up on stage to speak, and this really gives away why you should never hire me. Probably I'm not a good employee because <laughs> I was there covering it. I left. Wow. I left the convention. I went to my hotel, bought a six-pack, and ordered a pizza and watched Seinfeld. <laughs> this is a true story. This is how distraught I was. Because of your image of Trump? Or is just you were so diehard well, for let's Cruz? Get to that. No, no, it was – I want to get to that, but I want to set up who you are okay, and why okay. I think we're perfect. Right. Yeah, there's so many reasons that we can we talk about We probably had a that. lot of similarities back yeah, then. Well, not really, right? So I was yeah. so conservative, I didn't think Trump was conservative enough. Oh, so, okay, you're on the opposite side in of the fact, spectrum. In fact, and Steve Bannon said to me when I said that, Trump's not a conservative. He goes, well, whatever that means to Trump, but Trump is for America. Trump's about America. Conservative, mm-hmm. liberal, he's for all Americans. He's for the working class. That's who Trump is. Steve Bannon told me this personally, but I was like, whatever. Trump's going to be bad for conservatism. That's what I thought. I wasn't a never Trump or actually made a video saying I'm not going to endorse Trump, but who I vote for is my own business, which was my way of saying I'm going to vote for Trump, leave me alone, because a lot of the Trump people were real, like, 
endorse Trump. And I'm like, yeah. no. So that's who I was okay. when Trump won the nomination. Who were you? Where were you? So you were part of the camp already of conservatism. Yes. I was on the opposite spectrum of being a full-blown leftist liberal. If, you know, in, in the context of just, you know, on the surface politics, liberal, like college, free spirit, full, loving, um, what's your pronoun type of person. I was in the works of leading an anti or actually organizing an anti-Trump rally because I was just so, so disgusted that he was nominated, first of all, and then elected. So when you talk about now us watching the State of the Union and clapping, and I'm not a very emotional person, but I was tearing up at some of the things that he was saying. So for the both of us, I think we've both had really transformative opinions about this man that I hope, I really do hope a lot of Americans had with us as well or are starting to see why people like us, everyday Americans, might have felt that way and now have changed. Yeah, part of me had learned I wasn't an everyday American. I thought I was, right? I'm a high school dropout, joined the Army. My mother had me when she was a teenager. I became a teen parent, put myself through community college and university while being a young parent. Thought of myself as just the people, but I had worked in Washington so long I kind of saw Trump through those eyes. Yeah. I, you know, and so a lot of my friends, like Teamsters, like a friend of mine, Native Hawaiian Teamster, I train with, MMA with. Right. Love Trump from day one. Right. And I didn't get it. My I was father so as confused. well. Your dad? My was a Trump dad. Guy? The, while I was leading anti Trump rallies, we never, okay, we never talk about politics at home because that's not what you, what you do. You watch football, you crack a few beers open for your dad because I was, you know, I was taught how to open beers for my dad. That's what you did in high school. I thought that's typical American. <laughs> but um, Typical in Hawaii. Typical, maybe typical, typical American, right? Yeah, yeah. maybe typical. Um, so we never talked about politics. He's just the like a beefy guy who just goes to work and comes home and watches the game. And to learn that he actually loved Trump when um, after watching, I think it was the debate, debate between him and Hillary, he fell in love with him. He said, hey, seems like a guy I would hang out with, and, and he's for the people. He didn't know the um, details of all the platforms and you know what they were standing for, but just by listening to him and what he stood for, he said, I could get behind this guy. And I was like astounded because if he could connect with people like my dad, I bet he could connect with people like that throughout the country. And people like your dad were right yeah. when we were wrong. Right. And he said that. Trump said that in um, his State of the Union today that he said, America right now is its strongest for the blue collar. I, I took notes. I'm pulling it up. He said, the what did he say? Blue collar. He had a great saying. Um, he uh, said a lot of great things, which which completely blew The best mind. State of the Union ever. Yeah, I agree. Most pro-life State of the Union, most yes. pro-vulnerable State of the Union, most yes. pro-peace State of the Union, most pro-liberal in the great sense of American liberalism. Mm -hmm. And I took some notes on some things he said to explain that to folks who go, what do you mean liberal? Hey, Trump's not a liberal. I mean advocating for the great American liberal as in freedom mm. for all, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Right. And... Um, but yeah, he said that the blue collar boom, is that what he said? Um, Something along the lines of that, but it immediately caught my attention because that's what everything the Democrats are claiming to say that he's against. Oh, he's against the average American. You know, that's why we want, 
want him out of office, blah, 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 blah. He's tearing apart this country. But after he gives a long laundry list of all the accomplishments that he's done in, what, the first three years that he's been in office, how can you not stand he's up? He's done and, everything the yeah. Democrats said they wanted to do. Yep. And they could not even stand up for it. They couldn't he, even clap. I it, took notes. It was the blue-collar boom. And then yes. he listed it. Lowest Af- American unemployment, lowest African American unemployment, lowest Latinos, lowest for Asian Americans, mm-hmm. lowest for people with disabilities. Highest. How can you not stand and clap for the disabilities? Come on. Like no. every every single thing I watched, I made it a point to watch what that side of the aisle looked like, and they just look so salty. Salty. My kids, by the way, they lost young people. Oh, I yeah. just my kids were watching and goes, What what's wrong with those people? Yeah. And then my my 10-year-old, when he said something about great internet for everybody, my son said, oh, that's a win for us Fortniters. Right there, he just won all the 10-year-olds with their addiction to Fortnite. Okay, so, so, you know, the reasons why I didn't like Trump, or I was worried about Trump, mm-hmm. and in many ways were very personal. So I run an organization, and, I cut, and my mission is to defend the vulnerable, and the issues that are very important to me are abortion, number one, uh, which is the greatest denial of human dignity in the world today it's the brutal denial of our founding principle like slavery and segregation is the intentional destruction of the most vulnerable members of the human family the child in the womb also war um all these ridiculous unnecessary regime change wars that have been catastrophic and that's the one issue i trusted trump on i thought okay and when i voted for him i thought if hillary wins Syria is going to be as much of a disaster as Iraq and Libya and the whole Middle East is going to be just one big violent cesspool filled with genocides, which it would have been for sure. I didn't trust him on life, and I didn't like how he talked about immigration. I thought his immigration policies would be best for immigrants, legal and illegal, and it would be best for vulnerable Americans, but I did not like how he talked. And so as a Republican, as a political hack, I thought Trump's going to set us back. Mm. because his rhetoric is going to make it impossible for us to sell our ideas. Mm. But today, Trump sold our ideas and, and, and explained them in a way I think America is going to get. Yeah. And I hope in this campaign, we begin to hear more of that. For example, securing the border is protects the most vulnerable Americans, right? Mm-hmm. It protects their income, protects their jobs, their wages, and it also protects vulnerable migrants who are being trafficked into this country, trapped in a dangerous underground economy where they're being exploited, mm-hmm. where they have no workplace protections. Mm-hmm. And I thought he communicated that today about how d- disastrous our our borders have been, our, bo- our immigration policy has been for the, the vulnerable. And um, so those are my three issues where I was most concerned. What was amazing today Although he's been, he it was the most pro-life state of the union ever, and he's been the most pro-life president ever. Yes, following his appearance at the March for Life, right, a few weeks ago. I was ten feet from him. Oh wow! That's I tried to get the sticker for my movie on him, but I failed. <laughs> I was one First of the shot president in history to show up at the March for Life. Wow! And 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 you know, can I tell? I'm going to tell a story on this podcast I've never told publicly, but I think I've Ooh. told you about it when we were in New York. Okay. When we were in New York shooting my movie, I, I told you the story about when I met with Trump in 2011 or 2012. Yes. Okay, I'm telling this for the first Yay, time ever, I'm guys. This is, this cool is when I met Donald Trump, okay? I was with my wife at Universal Studios, our first overnight date since we'd been married, because she was always pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we're on a date, we're at Universal Studios, Studios, and then we were staying at a hotel at the theme park. Then I get a phone call. Mr. Trump wants to meet with you at the Palm 2 
tomorrow afternoon in New York City. And um, they were willing to send a plane for me. And I was like, no, um, you know, I have to talk to my wife. Let me call you back. And so I talked to my wife and she goes, what do they want to talk to you about? I'm like, well, I worked for the RNC. I worked for Sam Brownback. They probably want to talk to me about coalitions or the pro-life movement. He's probably thinking of running for president. And she said, would you work for him? And I said, never, he's not pro-life. So, but I would like to tell him that there's no way he's going to be the Republican nominee being pro-abortion. So I'd like to fly there and tell him not to waste his time. She said, well, you can't take a private plane, you know, ask for a first class ticket. So I called the person back. They said, we'll get you a ticket. They flew me to New York City. I um, went to the Palm Two. There were a bunch of people there at one table. Then President Trump had his table with some of his advisors. And then I was asked to talk to him. I sat down across the table from him and said that, you know, Mr. Trump, I came here just to share with you as a pro-life activist that you will never be president of the United States. I said it with like force, you know, I'm, you will never right. be president <laughs> of the United States be, because you're not pro-life. You cannot win the Republican nomination because I will fight you every step of the way. Wow. Right. And you need to know whoever is telling you that you can be the Republican nominee without being pro-life is taking you for a ride. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to tell you that. And he was like a gentleman and just kind of was like, yeah. And um, he had said to me, well, I have other people who are pro-life who feel they can support me. And I said, would you respect a man from the dairy industry if you had policies that went against the interests of the dairy industry? So you should not respect any pro-lifers who are supporting you with your position mm-hmm. because they're not people of integrity. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, that was that. And I had a really cool good stake. That had a really good stake. <laughs> After telling the future president. Yeah, that you'll never that you'll be president. <laughs> and it's I will like fight when I, you tooth and nail. Yeah, it's like when I met with the guys that founded um, <clears throat> Airbnb and they were looking for investors and asked me if I could help them. And I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth for this I, now. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Oh, wow. So I'm not... Yeah, yeah. Well, the story is I'm not a bright guy, but I looked at the president and I said, you'll never be president. And, um, well, then a couple months later, he changes his position on abortion. So I'm very skeptical. Like, I'm very, very skeptical, right? I've seen politicians play this game before. And he was close to Roger Stone. Roger Stone's wife, ex-wife, founded the Republicans for free choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not buying any of this. Mm -hmm. And so when when Trump was the nominee, I really felt like there was no way I could trust him on abortion but he's labeled pro-life and a lot of his rhetoric is going to hurt the whole movement. So it was very selfish and narrow of my interest in not endorsing or supporting him. And then now I've, as I've been watching him as president, I have seen no evidence of conversion. I have to be, say, I don't really believe his conversion story. You know, that he had a friend who was going to have an abortion and they chose life and he saw how great that child turned out to be. I really don't believe it. Even if the president believes it, he might believe his story. I don't believe it. Huh, why? I don't believe he ever had a conversion on abortion. You thought he was always pro-life. That's it. That's the punchline. Wow. I think he was always pro-life, but he was a New York businessman Mm -hmm. who, um, because I I didn't see any dramatic conversion, but his personnelist policy, he's put pro-life people everywhere. On judges, he's been great. He's been great in places people can't see. In fact, some of his best work is being done through people he's hired, you know, Mm -hmm. personnelist policy, the work that's being done in, in, in offices that nobody thinks about or knows about, plus his judicial nominations and, you know, his judicial oh, nominees. Sure. Uh-huh. He's been great. And so you have to ask yourself, he's fighting in the shadows where no one sees. Mm-hmm. Why? 
Mm. He's pro-life. And when you look back, he's always been pro-life. When you look back to the early 90s, which I have seen his earliest interviews on abortion, when he's asked about abortion, he literally has a physical revulsion. Mm. His hands come up like he's like, you know, putting his hands between you and the question. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm pro-choice. Mm. It's as if he's just saying the pious, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I need to say to appease the gods of the city, I just want to build casinos. Because yeah. that was his job at the time. Yeah. And he was a New York businessman who just wanted to be left alone. And he would mouth whatever pieties he had to say to the gods of the city. And I think Donald Trump is behaving like a man who is always pro-life. Now, here's the good news on that. To me, Donald Trump is America boiled down to a man. Ooh, I like, like if that. you were to boil us down to a man, we're crazy. Yeah. We're wild. Yeah. But we're also heroic and hardworking. Mm-hmm. He, ver- he painted that really well in his uh, speech today. This speech was not about him, but about how much he loves America. Yes. This was about us. Uh-huh. He loves America. And you know what his tell was? Enough about abortion. I'm going to get, because I go off too much in that. Um, he said, it was not written in the speech. He said it off the hand. I've wanted trade that's free but fair. And that's probably the number one reason I ran for president. He said it off the top of the, off the cuff. Did you catch that? I did catch that, yeah. What? It, wh- why did a, a, a New York billionaire... Why was the number one reason he ran for president fair trade, free trade that was fair? has nothing to do with his lifestyle. Yeah. It had to do with the millions of Americans who are getting screwed over in a country so great. Like your dad. Yep. And they knew first. Wow. They knew this guy was going to be our guy. Yep. Wow. I also watching like, how he was describing he, he he was just like in amazement of what America has done thus far because he named all the greats he named um he went through the list and then he went through like MLK who said oh we even sent the man to the moon and he went da 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 and people were clapping for them but it's so weird that they don't see that in Trump like how come they can't make the distinction that he is also a pioneer for what makes America so great. Is it just because of the partisan politics and they're like, oh, this is my job just to sit down and not clap? Because I'm so much in bewilderment. How come How come it can't connect to people who are continuously touting for him to be impeached? That's my question. Is it just because they're so, I guess, in the confusion of the media? Is it? What is it? Yeah, I. you mean, I think there's a lot of answers to that question, right? Yeah. So when he's talking about school choice, these people are wedded to their special interests. Well, just like I am, right? Like, the pro-life movement is is, is, is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and full legal protection for women and the child in the womb from the violence of abortion is, is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you came up in the teacher's union? And this is where it gets to be very complex. And mm. let's say you were a teacher and then an administrator and you now your children are teachers and the unions and the public education system for you has been about opportunity for you and your family mm-hmm. to have a good middle-class lifestyle, have a career that you feel proud of. Now he's talking about school choice. He calls public schools government schools. <laughs> yeah. He's waging war on your tribe oh, yeah. on behalf of children. Mm. He waged war on China on behalf of American workers. And Chinese workers, by the way, because... It's all connected, fair and free trade. Like China needs to, to 
get its act together and making sure its vulnerable workers are treated well. Mm-hmm. And we're a part of that exploitation. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. The Democrat Party has been completely co-opted by neoliberals. And that was one thing I was thinking, that the Democrat Party is dying. Yeah. And I want a strong, vibrant, healthy Democrat Party. Right. You know, what's funny is you had all those Democrats wearing white of suffragettes. <laughs> they were dressed as Republicans. Yes. The suffragettes were all Republicans. Yes. If they wanted to dress like in white and dress like Democrats from the 1920s, they could have been dressed as they the Klan. They could have had the full on They should have wore the Klan. Yeah. No, they should have like <laughs> represented their party's history. Right. But they were literally... Because who are the founders of the suffragette? All movement? Republicans. Susan B. Anthony. Yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Stanton, whose husband was all one of the founders that, yeah. of the Republican Party. Right. The founders of the Republican Party and the founders of the women's suffrage movement were the same people. So you had all these Democrats literally dressed, wearing the costume of Republican women. It was unbelievable. Right. And... and- Another note on on the woman in white. I did not see um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez there. I did not see her. I watched, I listened to most of the debate, so I didn't watch most of it, so I don't know. You know what? I'm going to keep that with an asterisk because I read reports that she wasn't going to show up. Mm. And just because I didn't see her doesn't mean that I'm going to say that she wasn't there. Yeah, they could have not put the camera on. Yeah, let's just say, let's just keep that out of the conversation then. But... But you know what I would say about the Democrat response was totally childish. The whole way was childish. And it was about them, not about America. Right. I think we can all agree now, whatever, you know, look, whatever you think about Donald Trump, he is fighting for the American blue-collar family. Mm -hmm. That's why he's there. That's his agenda. And uh, he sees that the neoliberal elite, which, by the way, Mitt Romney... Hillary Clinton, they're the same gang. Mm-hmm. I felt sorry for my Democrat friends because I'm like, this is what it, it would be like if Mitt Romney at all, you know, his cabal took over the Republican Party. Mm. Could you imagine a Republican Party run by people like Mitt Romney? How disgusting and gross and sad it would be. Yeah. Well, exactly. the Democrat Party is being run by its most disgusting elements. Can you imagine if Tulsi Gabbard gave the response? It would have been a good response. Mm -hmm. Thoughtful and honest and substantive. Mm -hmm. And showing respect for the American people. But uh, Governor Karen... Can I call her... (laughs) I I think it's fitting. I think it's very fitting. She was totally Karen because they picked her to... to, to Gretchen Whitmer. they, They picked Governor Karen because they wanted to reach out to suburban moms. There was a suburban vote, or the soccer mom vote, as they call it. Right, right. But the soccer moms love their sons. They love their husbands. Mm -hmm. They love their jobs. They love their 401k. Mm -hmm. Like this kind of strange... Okay, can we talk about the... Do you want to shift to the response, or do you want to keep going? What was your favorite line in the speech? It wasn't a line. Okay. It was an aspect of how Trump delivered his speech. Okay. When he would bring... Um, his guests or the people who he was honoring through his speech. He had uh, veterans there. He had, he, he even brought together a family and someone coming home from overseas. He had so- someone from who's going to um, benefit from his opportunity zones, a child and her mother. 
he he just he brought into perspective for the people who are sitting in that gallery that their policies and the policies that he's been um, backing. I felt very emotional um, when he would introduce their guests because the things that you know the mainstream media talks about you know, going tit for tat against policy and they did this, they did that. When he brought those guests on, it really humanized and made me remember, and I hope that the members of, you know, the Congress and everyone in that gallery, I I hope I'm saying that right, everyone in the gallery can remember that this transcends politics and just Trump is just there to stand with the American people. Like, stop just saying, oh, I'm not going to vote for this because it came from a, you know, a Republican uh, senator. I'm not, I'm, I, politics to, they, they put politics above the American people and that him bringing those guests on really put into perspective the outreach that he's having with his policies that he was talking about during the State of the Union. That was my favorite part. You know, and other all presidents do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure tomorrow, I've already heard some jabs that this was like his reality show shtick. Well, all presidents do this with guests. Mm-hmm. But nobody has done a better job of highlighting the big, beautiful, diverse country we are yes. than President Trump did. Yes. I mean, literally his guests painted a beautiful picture of this country. Yes. And so obviously Trump didn't sit there and orchestrate this himself. Mm -hmm. But the people he hired and trusted did. Mm -hmm. And it tells you the people that put this together, working with the president, share a vision. And that is a vision of America as a beautiful country that they are proud of. The Democrats are not proud of their country. In fact, I was thinking the speech reminded me of a speech. I call this a purple speech. This was not a red speech. They're, they're trying to say this was a big Republican yeah, rah-rah red, speech. red, red meat. I, yeah, no, no, was, this was, was not. Yeah. This was a purple speech. This was an American bipartisan speech. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the members of the House didn't want to recognize it. They were the ones that refused to stand time and time and time again for yeah. things that the lowest unemployment in American history, the lowest African-American unemployment in history – the, the highest People employment getting, ever you for know, young off of black men. Stance. Yes. They couldn't applaud for these things because they have no empathy. They're not thinking about these families. Exactly. And they should have just, they should have been magnanimous mm-hmm. and they should have, st- they could have stood up. And then afterwards they could have said, well, this is the policies of Barack Obama, you know, three years later. That's why this is all happening. This is all put, they could have said that, mm-hmm. but they should stand for things that are real. Yes. They should stand for things that are real and important mm-hmm. for hum- for families. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll tell you what my favorite line was. Okay. Uh, it's, it's because I, I've, I've talked to you about this before, that as conservatives, what are we conserving? American liberalism. Mm-hmm. Free markets, free speech, freedom of religion, a big, beautiful, flourishing, diverse society, subsidiarity, keeping most power in the communities and the family. The president said this. He said, um, he said we, we are the most prosperous an inclusive society, this is what he said. And he said that we want to give opportunities to every citizen in every community. Like that said so much. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that we are members of communities. 
Mm-hmm. We are members of families and religious communities and neighborhoods and ethnic communities. And he wants everybody in every community, every citizen to be included and to be prosperous. And it was a real defense of liberalism. The grand American liberal tradition, which we used to have Republicans that were, were sort of trying to conserve Anglo-American liberalism, if we're allowed to say that. And the Democrats, the Democrats traditionally, you know, up until quite recently, mm-hmm. were trying to conserve um, race-based privilege <laughs> against the liberal tradition mm-hmm. um but then they were pushing against the edges of what they call themselves progressive they were pushing against the edges of liberalism um to create a more just society by using the power of the state so now but liberals don't have any home i think in the democrat party anymore oh no for sure. there's no room in the democrat party for people who believe in freedom of religion the second amendment free speech Mm-hmm. Uh, economic freedom and just uh this last week uh Buttigieg, right said that there's no room in the democratic party for pro-life advocates either so there's no there's a specific box that you are supposed to follow and if not you belong to conservatives i guess so there's no freedom of thought there's no freedom freedom of actually they say they want you to be yourselves and, and be proud of who you are. But if you don't think the same way that they do, you're So out. let me ask you a question. You're, you're ethnically Samoan and Filipino, mm-hmm. and, and it's Hawaii, so you're like... Yeah, Portuguese. Everything, Portuguese. Yeah, all, all that So stuff. would you say in Hawaii, the Samoan community is predominantly pro-life? Yes. Filipino community is predominantly... Pro-life. So Buttigieg is saying that if you are pro-life... You don't belong in the Democrat Party, period. Yeah. That's that's, that's cultural everybody. imperialism. That's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm a liberal gay guy uh-huh. from the Midwest, liberal gay white guy, and I'm saying to all you people from all your different communities, religious traditions, that if you think it's wrong to use violence against the most vulnerable members of the human family, the child in the womb, then you don't belong in this party. Right. That's exactly what he's saying, and I think it's disgusting. But here's the good news. I don't think I want a strong, vibrant Democrat Party. Mm -hmm. I'm a Republican, but I've seen in this state, our state, Hawaii, what happens when you have a one-state, when you have a one-party state. Yeah. When you have a political community with one party. When there's no competition for your interests, Mm -hmm. every time you get a little gang in there that treats the state as their own private uh, slush fund, piggy bank. Yeah, for sure. So I want two strong national parties. I want mm-hmm. them both to be liberal parties in the sense that they're, they're committed to the idea of free speech, freedom of religion, economic freedom. Socialism is not an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be the party of John Bell Edwards of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Democrat. Veteran. He was a wolfhound stationed at Schofield Barracks. Nice. When I was a wolfhound stationed at Schofield Barracks. Katrina Jackson, African-American s- senator. Who state senator whose bill is is law who became law is careening towards the Supreme Court is going to put a major blow into Roe versus Wade this spring. Even Tulsi, you know Tulsi Gabbard, I would like Tulsi Gabbard to be the face of the Democrat Party. She's very progressive. I would disagree on a lot of issues, but I think she wants what's best for most Americans. Mm-hmm. But notice, Katrina Jackson, John Bell Edwards, Tulsi Gabbard. There is no place for them. And the National Party doesn't give the most exciting, interesting people in their party. They try to destroy them. Yeah, that's very true. They're trying to destroy Tulsi Gabbard. Why? Because she is 
Samoan. Mm -hmm. She's been raised around people with social conservative values. Mm -hmm. She doesn't hate us. And that's the problem, right? She's supposed to hate us. Yeah, they're supposed to hate us. Which, it it doesn't make, now that makes a lot more sense when I'm looking on the other side of the aisle. I see, I see some of the Democrats wanting to clap, but looking around, right, first, before they, they, they don't want to make the peanut gallery mad at them because they're supporting Trump, the big bad Trump. I, I just, I'm just so sad, and maybe because I'm so new to politics, if you guys are listening, you guys probably already know I'm not the most eloquently and intelligent spoken person. I'm just a, a recent college grad who doesn't know what's up and down yet in life, but I, I, I'm very disappointed at how divided it is right now when the country is so great. Like, I think in about maybe 10 years or 20 years down the line, when I look back on the Trump era, it's going to be those were the good old days. Mm. Right now, we are in the good old days. And there's an entire section of people who just doesn't see it. You need to write that. But let's not make them the good old days. Exactly. Let's say this was the beginning (laughs) The beginning of a rebirth of American freedom. Mm-hmm. By the way, the the Zoomers. You're not even a Zoomer, are you? Are you a millennial? Uh, I'm Gen Z. Gen Z. Oh, you are a Zoomer. Gen Z. I love your generation. How old are you? I am 23. So you're the very okay. I'm so, the very tip top. I yeah, you're just the tip. Yeah. So 24 is 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 uh, millennials. Millennials. So for you guys listening, if you don't know about this, the Zoomers they call themselves Zoomers or Gen Z, and then they say anyone over 23. You just made the cut is a boomer. Okay, boomer. Okay, Karen, right? So if you're 24 to Gen Z, it's like they're the chosen people and we are all Gentiles, right? And yeah. they're the chosen people. And But there's something really special about Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And my children, two of my kids are Gen Z and, and they're on TikTok all the time and they're in these oh, little Gen yeah. Z clubs that react to the insanity of the left. We're so conservative. And you're celebrating freedom. Like it's a rebirth <laughs> in liberalism. It's unbelievable. Right. I love it. It's, I think it's just because they, the millennials are, or I, mean, I don't even know what groups, I don't want to offend anyone. Let's anyone. offend them. That's but it's just gotten you, so bad. By the way, bad. millennials are already offended. Okay. Yeah, We've been offending them already. That's true. But I'm glad, I'm glad with, um, with the way that Gen Z is reacting because it's just so insane, you know, uh, especially in college campuses. That's another podcast that we can have. But did you want to go and talk about the the response? Yeah, because there's a no, bombshell. This is, but this is what you're saying is really interesting to me. Yeah. Guys, we've got a bombshell breaking news. By the way, if you don't follow my writing, I broke the Biden corruption Iraq story Yeah. on the war room Yeah. on uh, Steve Bannon's website the day of the impeachment. The Bidens, you know, uh, are are stealing tens of millions of dollars from mm-hmm. American taxpayers meant for the Iraqis. Um, but this is even bigger, maybe. Really? <laughs> we, we, <laughs> so stay tuned. We've got it. We should have said this in the beginning. I know. We are going to break a story tonight. It's just hold on because I'm so interested in the Zoomer stuff. <laughs> okay. So, guys, because I speak on college campuses now for 30 years. Mm-hmm. When speaking with millennials, and you were at one of my speeches uh, right. last year. Yes. Were you at my speech a couple months ago? I was at a mul- multitude of your speeches. Okay, so I was speaking on campus a year ago, and do you remember when? when yes, I remember. One of the students, I said, if 
if I'm sure I triggered you, before you can respond to anything I said, you have to share something you believe that will offend your classmates. Mm -hmm. Maybe you believe that God is three persons in one. Maybe you believe marriage is only between a man and a woman. Maybe you don't think believe in man-made global climate change. Maybe you think abortion's wrong. Anything that you think that would offend your classmates, that would put you on the out group, you share something. Because I know you're not all robots that believe everything lockstep. And then nobody, one girl raised her hand and said, I hate bigots. Oh, because we all don't hate bigots. Yeah, because yeah. I said, remember, I said, oh, so everyone in this class is a bigot? And yeah. You've offended them? She goes, no, I just don't think they hate them. But then one student raised his hand and said, nobody in this class has the courage to express any sort of dissenting opinion. Oh, for sure. And that's sad. That was a year ago. That's I went worse. to the same classroom no, now. And there's Zoomers there. Oh, okay. This and is the different. Zoomers are stepping up. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. The Zoomers have no fear. Mm-hmm. My kids, I have to instill some, instill some <laughs> fear. I'm like, yo, you can't, you can't say, say that. that. <laughs> right. You can't say that. Okay. <laughs> That's a little too far. Right. But you know what I mean? There's, uh, there's no fear in the Zoomers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's very Why interesting. Why is that? Well... I think it's because we saw just how destructive the mob can be. And when I talk about the mob, we grew up on our phones looking at people trying to destroy figures for saying something that wasn't even that bad. Like, let's just say, or not even that bad, or they shouldn't have had been, they have this cancel culture, right? Online. Yes. And that includes people like Kevin Hart. Ellen DeGeneres, who is gay. I got got kicked off of Facebook for defending Ellen. Exactly. So we, I think, I think we're just finding out that the people who are the loudest, right. And, and who are so, Oh, don't, don't be offensive to people. The people who aren't saying anything, who are just kind of like, this is all silly and stupid. There are more of us than them. And I think they're gaining traction on, you know, platforms like TikTok and Twitter and stuff that this is all ridiculous. And let's just be the outspoken and very true to what we believe people that we are, because there's more of us than more of you. I don't know if I, that's my personal interpretation. And of you're how kinder, you, like this yeah. sort of victimism. Feigning concern for the vulnerable so you can join a mob to bash somebody. Yeah. Or joining a mob it's because vile. you don't want to be bashed yourself. Right. And here's here's one um, example of that completely backfiring on the mob. So if uh, have you heard about what's been happening with uh, Johnny Depp? Yes. So his wife, I don't quote me on any of the specifics. I'm just, I get all my news from Twitter. Okay. So all my I, news from my Twitter. friends used to be roommates with Amber Heard. For real. Close really? friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got to get their scoop on it. But so keep going. This is amazing stuff. Right. So apparently, and I, I, I'm going to be butchering the story. It's, it's Twitter. It's Twitter talking points. Right. So apparently... She weaponized the Me Too movement against Johnny Depp and saying that he was the abuser. I'm getting abused by my husband, which caused him to lose his job, which caused him to be basically brutally attacked um, on these social media platforms, ruined his career, ruined his image, ruined his reputation. 
and just recently and like you know that that's how these things work you form in mobs you find someone who you're gonna who is gonna be on the receiving end of all the you know disdain and hate and oh you're such a terrible person that was johnny depp right up until was it last week where we found out that that wasn't the case it was the opposite way around where she was um she was the one who's being abusive so that just goes to show that this mob mentality can be very dangerous sometimes the me too movement can be very dangerous when you just are throwing a bunch of flock you know to to defend something that they don't even know anything about um, the fastness of social media and and the hype of what's trending, you can't really, one, believe everything that you read online, right? And two, use your brains, right? And I think that this example really speaks to why there is such a change in the Zoomers is because they're seeing how destructive it can be. And you experienced it. Yeah. So you've been on Instagram since you were how old? Since they first launched the app. And how old were you then? Uh, I was in middle school. So, so since like you were in middle school, yeah. people have had the ability to bully you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, for sure. Have you been bullied? Like when you were a kid on social media? Everyone's been bullied on social media. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. that's why it dawned on me. That's why your generation says, okay, boomer, to anyone 24 and older. Because you, what you're saying is you don't know what it's like to be bullied 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't know what it's like to have your moral imagination invaded by pornography when you're nine years old. Okay, Boomer, you can say pornography is the celebration of freedom of expression because you didn't see your first porno video till you were 24, mm. you know? And so, for example, me, my, my pornography growing up mm-hmm. was the Sears catalog. Mm-hmm. Literally, the woman's <laughs> section, three pages. All three pages. Three pages between, Jeez. like... Washing machines and tires. Yeah. And then you'd be like, three pages. You'd be like hoping for more pages. There's no, it's three pages. That's it. That was our pornography. Okay. Here's the stark difference. Okay. I didn't even see uh, pornography, like seeing a naked man doing things to himself. Wasn't even on a porn website. What we used to do in middle school is we'd go on, this is what we'd do for fun. We'd go on this thing called Omegle. And it's like it connects you to people, random people all over the, all over the world. real people yeah. doing this? Oh, yeah. That's what you did on the weekends. So we don't go to, how old we don't go to the mall. We don't go to the square. We, so we how go, old were you? We, we were like middle school. So like, And you were watching grown men. Yeah, they'd be on their camera. And they'd, like, it's, it's, it's not specifically meant for children, but you could approach it. Yeah. Of course. That's what you, it's funny to, to us. To a kid. Well, it's yeah. funny. Peer pressure. First of all, you're curious. Yeah, for sure. And then the curiosity. And then when you go through puberty, the curiosity turns into addiction. Yeah. Right? I can see how you're a nine-year-old boy and it's curious. Yeah. Is this what mommy and daddy do? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where we And then it goes, but from. then now puberty kicks in and now it takes it to another level. Oh. Now your brain is changing. Yep. So when I was speaking at the University of Hawaii a couple weeks ago, I gave the same speech I gave... Mm-hmm. when you were there and it didn't go over well, mm-hmm. well, they didn't have any courage. Mm-hmm. And I had brought up that, um, I brought up that, you know, no generation but yours knows what it's like to have your moral imagination invaded by the worst kinds of streaming pornography. Oh, for sure. You know, I graduated college before I had Roadrunner, you know, Wire 
dial up like what could pornography really yeah, possibly on, be on, on my twitter even? feed alone every day i scroll i see private parts of people at least four to five times you need to unfollow anthony weiner yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's common it's okay so, common. so this is why your generation says to everyone else shut up i never thought of it that way and i think because you're like look you couldn't protect our minds this isn't fun you got to have dates and get excited when a boy held your hand for the first time or girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell the kids a story about the first time a girl held my hand. Oh, wow. And it was like at a roller <laughs> rink. Oh. And yeah, it was the most exciting thing. And I said, will you skate with me? And Hall and Oates was playing. I bet the equivalent to that in Zoom range today is I remember my first nude. when Someone texted me my first nude picture. And they had that before the first time someone held their hand. Yes. And that is devastating. That really breaks my heart. Yeah. Like, look, I'm a Christian, and but it's not. I'm not talking as a Christian. I'm talking as a human yeah. that wants people to have human experiences. Yeah, I would much rather, you know, find out one of my kids was making out at 15 years old behind the gym, and the teacher called me, than to That's know true. they had a nude sent to them. Yep. That's true. You know who's the first guy to discover it? Did I give you Alan Bloom? I give you books every time you're at my house. <laughs> yeah. Did I give you The Closing of the American Mind yet by Alan Bloom? No, you haven't. He's, uh, he was like, it lived this reprobate, gay lifestyle, uber promiscuous, uh-huh. wild guy. Mm-hmm. Died of HIV, AIDS. But he wrote a book in uh, 91, I think it came out, or 89, the first edition, I don't know. 89 and 91, something like that, where he said that Eros is dying. We're killing eros and young people love. Like we're mm. this experience of love and romance is being destroyed by this by pornography and hyper promiscuity. Yeah. And you're the generations would experienced it. Yeah, I think I can agree. So you're reacting to conservative morality and you're saying, Look, shut up. This isn't Yeah, it's like we're we don't ride on nights and, and like, you know, we, we don't go to the public square anymore and court people we follow you on instagram and if you like my picture all right we're dating now (laughs) sad yeah isn't it and you guys know it's sad sad, right yeah so it's like when i tell you like when i was in seventh grade and you know she the girl would come knock on my door and say you want to go to dairy queen and we get milkshakes and talk for hours walking in the neighborhood like that's just awesome that's to me what it is to be a young person and i was ugly but i even got those experiences (laughs) i'm still ugly but you know it wasn't like I was strikingly handsome at 14 yeah. and this happened. but I like how you said that that's why we're rejecting conservatism. No, now. reacting towards conservatism. Reacting towards conservatism. Yeah, because you want, you know, you're defending free speech. Mm-hmm. You're mocking the victimization ideology that the millennials love. Yeah. Right? I think mm-hmm. that's because you were bullied, so you can have empathy with someone who's being bullied. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Like, you know... You know what it's like mm-hmm. to have anxiety because mm-hmm. someone's making fun of your shoes all day or saying you yeah. did something with a boy that you <laughs> might have done or not done. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I like the idea how you said that um, we're being very desensitized now as well. But I, I, I can't connect the two between how now – well, millennials kind of had this a similar experience to Zoomers. Is it just because it was such a new idea that they stuck with it and ran with it? And they're like, all right, we're going to 
Because they took more of a progressive ideology, would you say? With I think the they were ambushed and had yeah. no breathing room. Mm. Where you had a little space, and you got to see them kind of go off the cliff in front of you. Oh, so we were the the, uh, the beta projects, right? Yeah, you're like, I'm not stepping in that hole. Oh, that makes sense. But I don't know. I think generations are interesting. That's very interesting. It, to me, this is the whole idea. Like, I'm Gen X. Mm-hmm. I love my generation. Mm-hmm. I think we're a cool generation, mm-hmm. right? I kind of I'm fascinated by all gen- millennials uh, are fascinating to me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of idea of solidarity they waver between solidarity and victimism. You know, they 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 waver in the idea they want to treat everyone fairly and kindly, and then feigning to want to treat everyone care- fairly and kindly and picking a group to just devastate. <laughs> yeah, and I think you guys saw that. Yeah, and said no, that's okay. Yeah. What's amazing is watching, and my kids are mixed, right? How do you, mm-hmm. how, how am I supposed to say it? Apahauli. How do we say yeah. it for the rest of the world? <laughs> uh, mixed, mixed, ethnically mixed, mixed, mixed right? Yeah, interracial. Interracial. Uh, offspring. Yes. <laughs> that's the they're, word. They're half Bruce Lee, half Chuck Norris. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, <laughs> um, and the girls are always like, please, Dad, I hope I don't have to shave. I just don't want to have to shave my legs. My oldest daughter has to shave her legs. Oh, shit. That's my fault. Yeah. So... <laughs> So they watch, they watch, and um, they love watching other ethnically mixed kids on TikTok ripping into the social justice warriors. That's They're my all favorite white. thing. Really? Yeah. I thought it was just my kids. That's my favorite It's like a thing. whole universe of Hapahali, mixed race kids, Hapahali kids, or black kids, or Mexican kids right. mocking white kids. Right. For their social justice warrior crap. Yeah. And my kids, they watch it day in and day out. And they go, Dad, you got to watch. Look at this. Look at that. Oh. Yeah. And it's fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. I can't wait to see what this generation does with society moving forward. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll vote in another pro-America <laughs> president in the future. So I'm very optimistic. Well, here's what I here's how I think about it. You know, I'm privileged with the nature of my organization, mm-hmm. movie to movement, mm-hmm. protecting the vulnerable, and ins- uh, p- by promoting the incomparable beauty of the human person, inspiring solidarity with the vulnerable. And I get to travel the world. I get to go to places like Iraq and Sudan. And I say I go to the most beautiful places in the world at the worst possible time. And I don't. And it, since I was a 17 year old boy on my first deployment as a soldier, young soldier to Thailand. And I realized that what we have isn't nature. The United States of America isn't what you get when you leave political communities alone. It's not the natural state of affairs. It's not the most likely political community to evolve in a society. It's actually a miracle. Mm. It's a beautiful miracle. And we are so grateful to live in a political community that we don't have to fear just random chaotic mass violence we where Mm -hmm. we we know we all like i was born to a teenager and became a teen parent was able to go to the universe go to university was able to become start my own organization and start my own businesses and work for myself and carve out a great middle class life um this is a very special beautiful place but Mm -hmm. what's most important is our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion and our economic freedom Mm -hmm our ability to provide and care for ourselves, to not have others lord over us. Mm-hmm. We have to preserve this for our posterity. We have to. And, and, and also we need to preserve it because we need to be that city on a hill. 
to remind the rest of the world that this is what you have and this is what you could have. Ooh, I like that. Right? We need to be that sign of contradiction. We need to be that city on a hill because the world is becoming a very deep, dark place. Illiberalism, the rise of radical religion and ideology and warring, like the genocides we've had in Iraq through ISIS, a Sunni fanatical. I wouldn't even, it's not a religious, it, it's to me, it's as, ISIS is to Christianity what, I'm sorry, ISIS is to Islam as Nazism is to Christianity, right? It's, it's mm. they would call themselves Muslim, but there's nothing in the ideology of ISIS that you could say is, is linked to Islam. But you see these genocides ripping out around the world. You see China occupying East Turkestan, mm. three million ethnic Uyghurs in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. You see the Chinese monitoring their citizens' every move. You, you see this just death of the idea and hope for freedom. But now with Brexit, Ooh, now with, mm-hmm. with President Trump, the sort of rebirth of American grand mm-hmm. tradition, mm-hmm. Uh, we can be the city on a hill, and we can preserve this for our posterity. I think the, I think the main problem, uh, because I... I'm not too sure if this is accurate or not, but you can lose freedom in two generations, they said. That's that's a give or take. I, I mean, you can lose it. We could lose it tomorrow. Exactly. So you vote for Bernie Sanders. So I th- <laughs> <laughs> That's true, which is also a very scary reality. But I think the main concern is trying to pass that j- down, that same firing passion to the next generation. And I think there are people in America who are actively trying to make sure that you do not do that through the censoring of our ideas, through the active blocking of our messages on TV and on social media and also, you know, those in the Hollywood elite sphere. Um, Now, have you been blocked yet? I have been censored, yes. (laughs) For what? Now? For um, basically just being pro-Trump. That's it. That's it. The stuff that you get censored for is always shocking to me. Yeah. Like, There's a long laundry list, but it always has to do with them trying to fact check me on things that are accurate. But that's they not just, their they job. Like, yeah. I, I don't care if you go on there and say the world is flat and aliens are coming tomorrow and wear Nike so you can go get caught up in the comet. There you go. <laughs> I, and they won't be censored, but they won't be censored. Exactly. That's right, actually. They exactly. won't be. So that's that's my my only scare is that the people who hold power to the avenues that are that the next generation are learning how the world works. Mm. They have a stronghold on all those avenues of communication. I'll give you an example. Wikipedia. Look up all the early suffragettes. You look up other people will have political affiliation. They'll tell you Republican, Democrat, whatever. Mm-hmm. Look up the suffragettes. Look up the abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia doesn't tell you their political affiliation, and it's literally cleansed of it. Ugh. You would never know they were Republicans. Mm. Like Elizabeth Stanton, for example. Yeah, You right. would never know and it, by Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, because you have all these kids in high school and middle school looking up feminists and studying the suffragettes. Mm-hmm. God forbid they discover that the suffragettes were Republicans or that the civil rights movement was driven by Republicans or that the Republican mm-hmm. Party was founded to end slavery mm-hmm. or that it was the Democrats that were the party of Jim Crow, 
poll taxes, the Ku Klux Klan, the internment of the Japanese. God forbid people find this out. Mm-hmm. So you're right. They they purged that. Right. So where does that leave us? You know, it's, it's making movies, making writing movies, books, doing podcasts, podcasts and garages. I mean, your video. You have how many millions of views have you had? Uh, a lot. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, millions. Millions. You've had millions of views. Millions of views. That's and unbelievable. Yeah, thousands of followers, and for what? Because they just simply know that they need to reject everything that the mainstream media news outlets are telling them, and they need to get opinions and fresh perspectives elsewhere. Well, and you are—you always are self-effacing, which is 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 uh, refreshing. You know, you because you're being honest. You're like, I don't, I don't know. But you're so open to new ideas. You were anti-Trump two years, 24 months ago? Yes. When was the last anti-Trump rally you ran? His inauguration day. 17. Oh, that's three years ago. Three years ago. So when, wow. So you've been conservative for how long? Or leaving the left for how long? When did you get the idea, I'm, I'm no longer on the left? About a year. Just a year a ago? A year and a half, something around it's there. like right when we met. Yeah. That's so you would, so right when I, we met, you just had left the left. Yes, I made my first video and it boomed with millions of views. I was like, "What? Right? Why?" <laughs> and it's just a simple idea that, hey, everything that I've been taught has been a lie. That's it. And you were honest and sincere and humble. You're like, I looked into these things and this is what I found. I looked in with an open mind. By the way, you didn't want to leave the left. No, you didn't want to. <laughs> Go, I was actually, I've been duped. Yeah. No one I, wants to go like, oh, I was wrong. You wanted to be right. Yeah. I was actually trying to prove someone a, a conservative wrong. So I said, you know what? Fine. I will come down off my high horse to prove you little conservative wrong in all your stances. And the more I researched, the more I found out that I was wrong. So that was a hard, hard thing to swallow. But knowing that the world around you was a complete lie than what the people on TV and my favorite artists and celebrities painted out for me. But I think it's necessary, right? If, if you are wa- to, to tell people I, I'm just, I feel like I've been blinded this whole time walking toward the edge of a cliff. And finally my, you know, the blinds have come off my eyes and I'm looking around my friends and be like, yo, you guys are going off the edge of a cliff. You guys need to know these things. And they think I'm crazy. But you care about them more than you care what they think about you. Yes. By the way, that is a key trait in conservatives. Do you know how many people started on your journey, stopped, and turned around? I can see why. Because they're hated by everybody. So they care more about what people think about them than what's true. One of the most beautiful speeches I've ever heard in my life was given by Clarence Thomas in the mid-90s, I think 1996, to the African American Bar Association in Nashville, Tennessee. And I haven't Mm -hmm. seen the speech since then. Um, I need to look and see if I can find it, but he walked in and they booed him and he talked about being a young black radical who wanted to do right by his people, black people. And at one point he had to make a decision on what he knew was right for his people, but what he thought, what he knew the powers that be would want him to do, which he thought would go against the interests of his people, black people. Clarence Thomas said this and, um, He said he did what was right for his people, and he got hated for it. And he goes, I was lonely, I was depressed, but I got another opportunity to do what was best, what I thought for my people, black people. 
And he said, I did what was best for them again. And this time again, I lost friends and I was lonely and it was hard. He said, and now every time I make a decision, I do what's best for my people, the American people. And you can boo me and I don't care. I'm not a young man. Ooh. This is in 1976. You know, and I'm telling you how I remember it from, you know, 25 years ago. Right. But it, it, that was the point of it. Mm-hmm. See, Clarence Thomas cared more about his people than what his people, than he cared about what they thought of him. That's a leader. And that's what it is to be conservative today. Have integrity and know what you stand for and continue standing in the face of adversity. Trump. Because <laughs> you care now. about people. Yes. So Trump. Oh, God. Really, I can't believe I just said no, that. No, really, really, Ugh. really cares <laughs> about working class folks. And you know what? The biggest, when I would say my, my final turn was like, I like this guy. You're not going to believe what it was. What? Where I went from like, he's been very useful to us to, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. It was just like a month ago. So he, I've, I've always thought he's useful, good for him. He's a good partner. He's kept his word on issues that are important to me. Yeah. But when I'm like, man, I, I think I really like this guy. Oh. I'm going to tell you what it was. I was listening to an interview with the jailhouse snitch with Jerry, with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh. Uh, by the way, he didn't kill himself. Yeah, he did not. <laughs> Jeffrey In case Epstein. you haven't heard by now, yeah, I he saw didn't. the memes. Yeah, I, I might not be the first to have said this. Yeah. <laughs> Let me be the first to say Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Uh, you know, the jailhouse snitch said that Jeffrey Epstein had told him, he asked him about meeting Trump, and he said, well, I had this French model on the plane, and and Trump, you know, I invited Trump down to wherever, West Palm Beach, wherever they were going, but Trump had, Trump said, well, do you want to go to, they were flying from New York to New Jersey, he goes, why don't we go down and see my casino, do you want to see my casino? Mm-hmm. And um, Jeffrey Epstein told the jailhouse snitch that he had said, no, I don't want to go to your casino, I don't want to go to Atlantic City, it's, it's just for white trash. And then, then the French model asked, well, what's white trash? And Donald Trump said, I'm white trash, and turned his back and walked away. Ooh. No, he said, I'm white trash. If White trash is people like me who, without money. He said, I'd be white trash if I didn't have money, and turned his back and walked away. What that hold me about Donald Trump is something I look for in folks that I work with that have affluence or power is that they know, do they recognize that they've been blessed, that they have privilege, Mm -hmm. that they are stewards Mm -hmm. and that with all of the privilege comes responsibility, Mm -hmm. that they're not special, they're privileged. Donald Trump, I think has always seen himself as just a plain guy, good guy, normal guy who had some opportunities and made the most of them and, and had some breaks. And, and with that, he's had a real affinity for just other working guys because he sees, he really does see, that's who I am. And so when that jailhouse snitch told that story, I thought, what a look at who this man is mm-hmm. behind the crazy hair. And then, you know, he, he talks like a guy who was born in the 40s from Queens. <laughs> that's what he is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's go to Karen and then maybe wrap it up. Okay. You want to do you want to break this news story here? This this big news well, story. Well, you were the one who discovered it. I didn't even see or I didn't catch it 
when she because you know I was I was listening to it. Um, she's talking about oh, this is what the Democrats. Who are we talking about? We're talking about uh, Governor. <laughs> we keep forgetting Governor her name. Karen. I just call her Governor Karen. Karen Gretchen. Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic Governor of Michigan. Wow. So she said Muskegon Valley. Muskegon Valley was that it? Yes, in her rebuttal. Her very Muskegon, weak Muskegon Heights. Okay, guys. So if you if rebuttal. you missed if you missed the Democrat response to the State of the Union, you must watch it mm-hmm. because it is a, it is a study in contrast. Yes. You had a president of the United States who saw a grand vision for America, where he was talking about sending the great grandson of a Tuskegee Airman to space. Yes. Talking about becoming, you know, the economic envy of the world that we are. Uh, yeah, uh, respected. Uh, and respected. And we have fossil fuel. Ind- we're yeah. we're uh, energy <laughs> independent. This is his speech, okay? We are, yeah, we're the economic envy of the world. Yes. You know, so this <laughs> it, and he's talking about religious liberty and political and religious freedom and life and the dignity of the human person. Then it gets to um, a Governor Gretchen. We're just going to call her Karen. Karen. Governor Karen. Gets to Governor Karen, who, by the way, was selected for the soccer mom vote. Yep. They're like, we're going to pry this soccer mom vote away from mean, mean, mean old Donald Trump. Right. So Governor Karen's going to be perfect. Right. And so in her response, she brings up potholes. Yeah. Just bizarre. (laughs) About a young girl who has to go fill up potholes in her state. Her state. Her state. Her state. (laughs) Okay. You're going to like this This constituent (laughs) has to go, this little child has to go and fill up potholes herself with dirt. Oh. In Muskegon Heights, Michigan. This is Trump's America. Okay. Yeah, this is Trump's America where a little girl has to go into a road, I hope, you know, looking both ways. Yes. In between cars, dodging traffic, filling up potholes. This is... This is what it's like. She says, this is Dem- Democrats in action. I don't know if this child's, she sounds like a Republican to me. Yeah. <laughs> Any little girl that's filling <laughs> up potholes on her, own. on her own. She sounds like yeah. she's like a libertarian. We don't yeah. need the state for roads. I'll yeah. fill up the potholes, okay? <laughs> she's like a libertarian party candidate. Okay. Muskegon Heights. It just dawned on me, Muskegon Heights. We looked it up. Muskegon okay. Heights. Muskegon Heights. Well, we know that the President of the United States is not responsible for potholes in our local municipality okay that would be their responsibility yes so i wondered huh i wonder if they're democrats in muskegon heights and so who who who's the tell us about muskegon heights muskegon heights um is within the muskegon county right okay and okay, according okay. to an article by their uh, local fox 17 west michigan um Reporting, it says here that Muskegon County has voted Democratic in every presidential election since 1992. Since 1992. Okay, so it's safe to assume that everyone in Muskegon Heights and in Muskegon County responsible for potholes is a Democrat. Ew. Nice example that she, she pulled out there to represent... Trump's horrible America. Because President (laughs) Trump's policies have led to little girls in Democrat counties having to dodge traffic to fill up potholes. That's the Democrat (laughs) response to lowest unemployment for African-Americans, women. Economic boom. Boom. Um, 
you know, highest it's, wage yes. gain. Just boom, 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 boom. There are potholes in Muskegon Heights. <laughs> that are in a Democrat. You haven't done everything, <laughs> Trump. Oh There's still God. potholes in Muskegon Heights. Jeez. But, you know, the overall message and feel of that response just proved to me, and I'm hoping to God that every other normal American saw that they just have no rebuttal. How how can you ever how how can you rebut right all of the economic progress that we had? What what what? what there, I feel like there was just so much. I, I'm, there was I'm, too much. Like for example, energy independence. Yes, Senator Tim Scott's uh, opportunity, opportunity zones. zones. Beautiful. Uh, space force <laughs> space force that they're laughing at the space force yeah. but meanwhile now today it comes out russia's uh spying on our is following our satellites around china's right. doing something on the dark side of right. the moon the the passing of the usmca usmca do you know that the era of nafta and gat which by the way i supported i was a young republican told by you know the big smart republicans i should i should support nafta gat destroyed our agriculture here in hawaii mm. so um. Yeah, USMCA. It just goes yeah. on and on and on and on. The bringing like, back of um, the, they're building more factories here, more jobs. Um, Twelve thousand factories. Yes, in 12. three years. Beautiful. Um, he talked about what else? Uh, having the low or the highest employment rates for um kids who just got out of high school or getting a GED. Um, so, and did you already talk about the lowest unemployment rate for, um, for people with disabilities for women, for women? Yes. Yes. And all what, did you see what the democratic ladies in white did? No, let's not call ladies in white. Let's call them the Democrats dressed up as Republicans (laughs) from the early 1920s. Yes. The suffragettes, the suffragettes, not clapping. For the progress of a woman. Well, they, they, I'm sure they'd applaud for abortion, although yeah. Susan B. Anthony and all the suffragettes were radically opposed to abortion. Exactly. So, I mean, I I guess historically you know more about the State of the un- Union just kind of celebrating the victories. Oh, school choice. Oh, school choice was a good one. Yeah, yeah, the school choice just mm-hmm. boom. Um. What? A, oh, one, one of one that really caught my attention was he was talking about big pharma, him standing against big pharma and also the transparency of, um, releasing the price of medical procedures. Wow. And he, he hinted, he said, my expert said that that alone will have great impacts rather than changing the entire system to a socialist healthcare system. Yeah. I saw AARP ads. This week on television supporting Trump's uh, policies on health care. Wow. Yeah. On, I think it was on prescription reform and the uh, transparency and right. medical billing. And he said, he said, hey, Democrats, I think he was, he was, he personally named Schumer, right? He said, please, please bring something on my desk that we can agree upon about, you know, the, um, I forget the wording of it, but the big pharma drug prices, some, something along the substance of that. And he yeah, said, it's pharma bill. Now yeah. what our AARP is out there campaign, you know, yeah. paying for ads in support of this. Yeah. Well, 
I think this kind of sums up the whole speech, which to me is a purple speech. He said mm-hmm. pro-worker. Yes. Pro-growth. Yes. Pro-America. So my gra- in your grad school, I studied frame theory and frame analysis, what words mean. Mm-hmm. We know when you hear pro-worker, you think what? You think unions, you mm-hmm. think the left, you think Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. They've co-opted that word. Mm-hmm. He said pro-worker. He said pro-growth. You think of growth, you think of Republicans. Republicans are saying, let's grow the economy. And growing the economy, a rising tide raises all boats. And then he said pro-America. And that's it. Pro-worker. Pro-growth, pro-America, the blue-collar boom. Boom. That's how they're going to study this era. Like you said, the good old days. I hope it's not the good old days. I hope it's the beginning of a blue-collar boom. And when Trump said that, pro-worker, pro-growth, pro-America, I remember thinking of when I was a sophomore in college and my professor said, over the next 30 years, it's very important for globalism to take wealth and power from America. And I thought of that professor, that liberal professor who said we need to take money and power and shift it to the global south, away from America. We need to take American money and American power and American influence, and we need to push it to the global south. They're globalists. Mm -hmm. They see America as part of the problem. Mm -hmm. They think our influence and power in the world, our productivity and our wealth is the problem. President Trump believes, I think it was clear today, Mm -hmm. he believes that a prosperous America will lead to a prosperous world. Mm -hmm. That a free America, that city on a hill, will give other peoples the aspirations to be free. Mm -hmm. That we don't need to send America, American money and influence and power to the global south at the expense of America. Mm -hmm. That we empower the people of the world by having a wealthy, free, sovereign, and powerful America. Boom. That's Beautiful it. summary. And that's the difference. Yeah. It really is the, it difference. is the difference. The Democrats believe that what's best for the world is a weaker, poorer America. And they get what they're trying to get. And Trump believes that what's good for America is good for the world. But what's good for Americans is a free, prosperous country. And uh, so those are two totally different very yes. different, yeah, and painted today clearly for all of the nation to see. So, so how are we can end wow. this? So, okay, so oh let's wrap it goodness. up, guys. This is the first reboot of the Jason Jones Show. I have to say it like that so I sound important. Yeah, because you are important. You got a Jeez. new setup. Look, you this got, is kind of fancy. Yeah, this is awesome. There's colors. There's knobs. There's switches. There's two microphones instead of one. Like before, we had that one microphone. Uh, we still have the TV table. That's okay. It's beautiful. I'm glad to be on your very first episode. I was gonna say professional episode, but I'm not. You know, knocking what you did before. <laughs> what? But I'm, the setup just makes it that little, much this more. This is a little cool. professional. So, so, well, when I first met you. I think on the first day I met you, I said, you are going to be huge, and I'm going to ride your coattails. Didn't I say that? <laughs> you did say At that. At least I'm honest. <laughs> like, I use my friend. I'm going to use you for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I'm living up to my And I'm promise. using you because every time I come to your house, I get a free book. That's true. <laughs> and you, oh, by the way, I want to talk about, let's, let's end on two personal things. So you walked into my house. I have seven kids. Six of my children and my sister was in the house. Yes. And then, and then my daughter's friend. Yes. And you said your what? Your dog. And I said, your house is beautifully crazy. 
Every, you said every time. I every walk. time I walk in this house. It's just bustling with life and love. And, you know, they're saying prayers to go to bed. They're making sure, everyone, you know, everyone's Sword it's chaotic. Fighting. Yeah, exactly. Just, my daughter was teaching my children jujitsu takedowns <laughs> yeah. while I'm trying to take notes on the debate. <laughs> you had to say, everyone be quiet. I have to write 30 seconds. Thing. So 30 to get seconds. that Muskegon Heights in between lightsabers, <laughs> my daughter, jujitsu enthusiast, daughter, teaching my <laughs> son a takedown. Mm-hmm. The other kids fighting with lightsabers, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to get the name Muskegon Heights. Muskegon While Heights. Karen's on the screen. Well, Karen's on the Governor Karen. Yes, that was a beautiful, beautiful insight to Jason's life. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, and then you are on the water diet. I am on the water diet. Yes. So talk about it, I, guys. So I'm a big advocate. I went three years with only drinking water. I ate. Yeah. But it changed me. But then people were like, "You're annoying. Drink something else." And then I gave in. <laughs> but I want to do it again. So you've been doing it now for how long? I've been doing it for a week and a half now, and I pee 12 times a day. You didn't have to say that. We knew that. If you're, like, drinking water all day, we knew you were Well, I'm I'm just pre-warning those that who want to try it or are curious about it. Just be prepared. And and so what I told you was the most interesting thing is when you start this, you're going to never be more thirsty in your life. You know what? I've been, for this whole podcast, my mouth is dry, and I've been drinking water all day. And I've just been waiting for for the time that we end so i can chug more of my hydro so we're gonna end on this guy so what it is is americans we live like bedouins right we're drinking all the time but what we drink dehydrates us so our bodies are like fine-tuned to deal with life without a lot of water yeah even though we have all the water in the universe we're drinking coca-cola and beer and coffee so we're dehydrating ourselves when you go to a water diet your body's like oh i can use water now to scrub the kidneys out and Mm -hmm. work on the liver and right then you start hydrating after a right. week or two. Right. For me, it took two months for the relentless thirst to stop. Oh, my goodness. I have two. Yeah, two, but you two might months. not be as, you know, maybe your diet's better than mine. But then you, you never feel better, and uh, I have to go back to that. Yeah, you should. This will be commemorative evidence that this is when you're going to start. Okay, I'm going to start today. Okay. No, well, co- I got coffee, though. I love coffee. Oh. But I'm going to start today. Okay. Let's do it. Cool. All right, guys. Tiana, <laughs> share your YouTube channel or whatever you want to share. Um, like I said with Jason, you probably were listening and be like, oh, I don't want to listen to this uneducated young no one thought word that. Zoomer on here. No one thought but that. But if you want more um, commentaries of what's going on in this crazy world or just, you know, videos that are entertaining about politics um, or memes. if you Or know. see how the Zoomers see the world. Yeah. The unique <laughs> perspective, the honest openness that the Zoomers have, Tiana's a perfect example. Right. So where do <laughs> they go? They go to any social media platform. On, on I'm on everything. Um, at Left the Left Show, as you can infer, I, I did leave the left. So I thought those. No, I like it. Left the Left. It's like left movie to movement. Left the Left Show, yeah. Yeah, right. So, you know, shoot me a line on there. Let's get connected, and hopefully I'll see you. Online, if that's what you say. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? If you don't know, I don't know. Okay, guys, this was the inaugural episode, the relaunch of Jason, the Jason Jones show, where I try to be funny and witty just so I can indoctrinate you on two simple things that the human person has an incomparable dignity, beauty, and worth in every human being from the moment of their biological beginning through their natural death has an inviolable dignity, and they should be protected from violence. 
and to inspire you to live lives in solidarity with the vulnerable because the vulnerable are not weak. They're strong people placed in impossible situations. We stand with them when they're in their situations. They can stand with us when we're vulnerable ourselves. And to find out more about what we do, which is we make big, beautiful movies, and I write little articles and do a podcast and many other things. To find out what we do, go to our website, movie2movement.com. That's www.movie2movement.com. Talofa. Oh, I like that. Huh? Yeah. You, you remember? Your, your memory's still good. Yeah. <laughs> Offline, I'll tell you all the other words they taught me. <laughs> so Samoan, when you take Samoan at the University of Hawaii, yeah. it's all football players who are That's, Samoan. Yes. And the football speak coach. fluent Samoan. Yeah. And the football and a few coach white who just guys. wants, wants the, the players to get A's. And talks about golf. Yes. And I was that guy. And they, ta- they, they taught me the alphabet. We talked a lot about golf, and that was that. So that's where I got my talofa from. There you go. You're supposed to say talofa. Talofa, yeah. Right on. All right, right, everybody. Aloha. All right, aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. (laughs) 